Good morning. My name's Jared, and uh, I'm on staff here at Plum Creek, and I'm grateful to be able to teach on, uh, the, during the Christmas service. That's pretty exciting for me. Uh, some of you may have heard that I'm the person at Plum Creek that doesn't like Christmas. That is absolutely not true. There's no truth to that whatsoever. I like Christmas. I just like Christmas at Christmas time. I don't want to hear Christmas music before Halloween. I do not want my Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving. I actually don't mind those eggnog shakes from UDF all December. That's okay. But I don't want Christmas movies or Christmas TV shows in the, until the middle of the month. So today is December 15th. So Christmas can officially begin. So Merry Christmas. I didn't get Merry Christmas back. There we go. All right. I like that. All right. I actually do like Christmas. I'm just a little slower at getting into the spirit than most people. I thought last week was really fun. It was great having the kids on stage. If you were here, you got to be a part of that. And I thought Doug did a great job last week of connecting Christmas with this idea of home. And that's really true for me. What really gets me into the Christmas spirit is I, I like to just start thinking about some of those great memories I have of uh, being, uh, have Christmas time when I was a child. And like Doug mentioned last week, I try to recreate those memories and I just can't do it. So instead, I try to create new memories with my kids and with my family. Last week, we talked about the definition of home as being in the presence of God. And we're going to start from there this morning and maybe take that just a little bit deeper. I believe that all of us have been hardwired for one thing, significance. I mean, it's, it's really what all of us are looking for. If you're like me, you might get confused on how to find it. You get distracted and you go after the wrong things. And even if you find the things that you were looking for, those things you thought would bring you significance, really, they just leave you empty. I think that's why we do a lot of what we do around Christmas time, because we're thinking about trying to find that significance. And we have these great memories of Christmas when we're, when we're kids. And for me, only a few of those memories really are about gifts. It wasn't the gifts, it wasn't the stuff that made those, those Christmases so special. It was about the experience. For example, I remember going to Suzanne and Esther's house. They were my great aunts, they were sisters. They were seamstresses their whole lives. They were never married and just lived together and made dresses for people in the community. I remember sitting at their fireplace, and I can still picture this bench, this old wooden bench that, that, that I sat on, and I can picture the rug, and I can see that hardwood floor. And I remember that Susanna and Esther always had these magic rocks that we could throw in the fire, and the fire would change uh, colors, turn green and blue. I remember going to Bracken County in my grandparents' house on Christmas night. That was our tradition. On Christmas night, we would go uh, over to Berlin and uh, visit my grandparents, and I'd uh, play with my cousins there. I remember going to Dover in Mason County to see Mammy and Papaw, and we did that on Christmas Eve. I was the oldest grandchild on that side, so I remember what it was like when I first got to move up to the adult table. It was just a couple years ago. I remember how my dad uh, would always have a Christmas gift for my mom. And after we had opened our gifts, he would usually ask my brother or I to go out to the truck and get, get that gift for mom. It was always wrapped in the same way. It was a brown paper grocery bag folded over at the top and stapled. No ribbons, 
no bows, no name tag, but we knew who that gift was for. And I want my kids to have memories like that. I want them someday to be telling their kids about the things that we did. Christmas meant home. It meant significance. I always felt like I belonged. I felt significant, especially during Christmas time, and that's why I find myself now trying to create those memories with with my family, with my kids, that feeling of belonging or significance. Here's an example. Just a few weeks ago, we were celebrating some birthdays. Now, my middle son, Easton, his birthday is, is in September, but my oldest, Brennan, who's 17, and Reagan, who's 11, they were both born on November 26th. So they each have their own birthday celebrations with friends, usually before their actual birthday. But on their birthday, we celebrate just with our family, dinner, cake, and opening a gift. This year, that fell on a Tuesday night. So I had some meetings. I wasn't home until around 8. And when I got home, we had dinner. And because it was just the five of us, we didn't get a special cake for that night. We just had leftover ice cream cake from Reagan's party a couple nights before. It was about half a cake. It was only like this big. But for five of us, it was enough. But it still seemed a little lame to me for your birthday just to have leftover cake. So I wanted to try to make a memory, right? I wanted to try to make it significant. So I stopped at the dollar store on the way home, and I got those magic candles. You've seen those, right? You light them, you blow them out, and they come back, back to life. Seemed like a really good idea. Until we put 28 of those candles on a cake this big. 17 for Brennan, 11 for Reagan. We lit the candles and we sang. When they tried to blow the candles out, they came back and they joined forces to create a fireball erupting out of this half of an ice cream cake. So normally, you know, you take those candles out and you put them in water, but because they were all together, they created this fireball. You couldn't even reach in to touch them. So the cake is melting. Uh, The ice cream's melting all over the table. We can't reach in to grab them, and I start to panic. And I think, yes, their their birthday is going to be significant. It was the year Dad burned down the house. (laughs) So I'm in full panic mode, uh, and I... This may come as a shock. I get a little, uh, you know, I get a little excited when I'm, when I'm panicked about things. And um, I look up at Angie, and she has her phone up recording the whole thing, and she's just laughing. So I'm like, you don't even care that the house is burning down. So I, I go ahead, and I decide that I'm going to try to figure it out. As a matter of fact, um, we do have a video. I can't show you the video because of some of the words that were said in there, but there's a screenshot of the cake, <clears throat> I won't let them push the play button, but there's a screenshot of the cake. Now, this doesn't do justice. It was actually much bigger than that uh, at at its height. So I'm trying to figure out exactly what to do, and I do what any clear-thinking man would do in that situation. I threw the cake out in the yard. (laughs) But parents, you can relate with me, right? I mean, you want your kids to feel significant, especially on their birthday. And in reality probably didn't need to buy those stupid magic candles, which do not have a warning label on the package, I might add. I just really needed to be there for my kids. Just needed to tell them that they're loved, that no matter what they achieve, no matter how they mess up, that I love them just because they're my kids. We have this set of steps in our house that goes from our kitchen down to our basement where the living room is. And we walk up and down those steps multiple times every day. And uh, on that set of steps is where we have uh, pictures of all three of our kids. 
They're a little bit dated. But those are our three kids. And sometimes, especially when no one else is around, I stop halfway on those steps. And I look at these three kids, and I stand there, and my chest puffs out just a little bit. And my palms start to get a little sweaty. And uh, sometimes even I get a little tear in my eye. My eyes water up just a little bit. Because I'm thinking about how much I love these kids. Not any more because of anything they've accomplished. Not any less because of something they've done wrong. But just because they're my kids. There's no plaque next to their pictures that say things like, uh, Brennan was Defensive Player of the Year in football for JV. Or Brennan is planning on going into the ministry like his old man. There's not a plaque that says Easton's on the JV tennis team. Or a youth group volunteer talked about how Easton always tried to include other kids in youth group. There's not a plaque that says Reagan's singing an all-state choir. Or Reagan has this incredible heart for kids with special needs. There's no plaques that say anything like that up there. I just love them because they're my kids. They're significant. Because they're my kids. And I wish I was better at telling them that. Because I think it's important that we know we're significant. That we know we belong. I really believe that all of us are hardwired for significance, to find it. And that's why this idea of home is so powerful. Home is where we feel significant. Home is where we belong. Home might be the only place in our life that we feel significant. And we long for home because we long for that sense of belonging. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you search for significance in all the wrong places. You keep chasing after something, but you keep coming up empty like those stupid magic candles. And if you're like me, you end up finding it even sometimes, and you still feel empty. So today I want to look at a part of the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 2 and see how three different people or groups of people responded to the birth of Jesus and to see how they found or were searching for significance. Let's look at Matthew chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 16. It's kind of long, but we're going to read the whole passage all at once and then we'll refer back to it some. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means among the least of the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. When they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill the boys in Bethlehem and its, and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So as I look at this passage, I see three people, or groups of people, who have different responses to Jesus. And I want to talk about those responses to the birth of Jesus, because I think they're really the same responses that we have today. I see similarities. First, Let's look at the Magi. So this may be an unfamiliar word to you. Your translation of the Bible may call them wise men. You may have heard that before. This morning we, sing, we sang a song called We Three Kings, uh, and that fami- may be a familiar song to you. And this refers to these Magi that we see in Matthew chapter 2. We really don't know very much about the Magi, the wise men, or these kings. But the Greek word that is used in the Scripture here says someone who practices Dark arts, astrologers, pagan sorcerers, or wizards. Think Gandalf or Dumbledore. These guys were wizards for real, real life wizards or, 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 or practice, people who practice dark arts, which is really interesting to me that these are the people that came to worship Jesus because these sorcerers who are from the east, and we don't know exactly where either, we just know they're from the east, they've come to worship Jesus, the king of the Jews. They were not Jews, but they came to worship Jesus. So this response from the Magi, worship, is an appropriate response to the birth of Jesus, the Son of God being born on earth. 2,000 years ago, travel was not easy. It's obvious that these Magi sacrificed a great deal to find Jesus. Their travel would have likely taken months. It would have come at a great cost financially, and traveling had inherent risks in those days, much more so than today. But it was worth it in order to worship this new king. The word translated worship means to physically bow down to someone who is superior. I think it's interesting that these wise men sought out a baby in a small rural town to acknowledge him as a superior, a baby. It wasn't just because he was going to be a king someday, because they passed through several kingdoms to find Jesus, and they even met the current king of the Jews, Herod, but there's no mention of them worshiping any of those kings. They came to worship this particular king. They recognized Jesus as someone special, someone to be honored. This was something that was historic. He was someone who could change their life. So some of us have that same response. We worship Jesus. We genuinely seek him. We want to try to find that sense of home that comes from being in his presence. And that's why we're here today. And I love that these guests who have the appropriate response to Jesus are magi. It's it's important because from the very beginning, we see that Jesus isn't just for the Jews. He was called king of the Jews, but he wasn't just for the Jews. He was for everyone. If we look at all of the Christmas stories in different different books like Luke, we see that um, shepherds come 
to see Jesus. You remember that. It's not recorded in Matthew, but Luke talks about that. And for the religious people, that was a stretch. It was a stretch to think that Jesus was for shepherds. Even though they may be Jews, it was a stretch because they weren't the upper echelon of society. But Matthew tells us that God called not just shepherds, but pagan sorcerers to come and worship Jesus. God chooses these sorcerers to show us that Jesus is for everyone. And Jesus is for you. It doesn't matter what kind of kid you were growing up. It doesn't matter what your GPA was. It doesn't matter if you smoked weed or even if you did things that were unspeakable. Those things don't matter. Jesus is for you. And we can uh, think about this. I'd like for us even to say it because if we can get this in our minds, I think it's a huge difference. I'd like us to say together, Jesus is for me. Can we say that together? Jesus is for me. You know, the book of John says, For God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus. Jesus was for everyone. The second response that we see to the birth of Jesus, I want to point out, is that all of Jerusalem and the, and the priests and the scribes, and you can notice that uh, if you have your Bibles. So these are the religious people that we're talking about now. They're people who would have been trained to know about Jesus coming. They would have been expecting his arrival, or they should have been. But they missed it, even though it was right in front of them. Jesus was born right in front of them in Bethlehem, but they didn't even notice. And even after the Magi alerted them to the fact that this king that you've been waiting on has been born right under your nose, what was their response? Nothing. Indifference. Matthew 2 says, Herod was troubled to learn of this new king of the Jews, and all Jerusalem with him. All of Jerusalem was troubled. These religious folks, the scribes, the priests, they did what religious people do. They stated facts, but nothing changed. There's no evidence that the birth of Jesus made any difference in the life of these people. There's no account of droves of people from, uh, from Jerusalem making their way to Bethlehem to worship Jesus. There's no evidence that the scribes and the priests dropped everything, as we might expect, to go see this promised one that they had been learning about since they were old enough to listen. They did nothing. Nothing changed for them. That's a pretty common response today, I think. Sure, Christmas season may mix things up for us a little bit. We may do things a little bit differently. We may be inconvenienced in our schedules or even our efficiency at work because so many people are out. We might take notice for a couple days, but on De December 26th, everything pretty much goes back to normal. Nothing really changes. Maybe this is your response because you don't really recognize the difference that Jesus could make in your life. So you just go back to your normal routine. But some of us get caught up in being religious, in knowing all the facts, get caught up in always being right. We get caught up in always looking respectable, but we never really meet Jesus and learn who he is. The third response I see here, though, is King Herod's. And I want to talk about this one for a little bit. Historically, Herod is known as Herod the Great. We can look in history outside of the Bible and see other uh, examples and information about King Herod. He was the king of Judea from about 37 years before Jesus to the time of Jesus' birth and a little bit later. As a king, he had already accomplished some incredible things. He's called 
Herod the Great for a reason. One of his greatest accomplishments was to rebuild the temple and the walls and expand the temple, including the walls around it. He built these four walls that made up the Temple Mount. Maybe you've heard of that before. One of these four walls is called the Western Wall. Still today, it's considered one of the holiest places that a Jew can go to pray. In fact, we've seen pictures of this on the news when we've had presidents that have gone to visit uh, this wall. Here's a picture of George W. Bush praying at that particular wall. Herod built that. So we might have expected Herod, who was a Jew himself, to embrace this idea of the promised Savior being born in his kingdom during his reign. How cool would that be? I mean, that would be some notoriety. But Herod's response instead was to try to stay on his own path seeking significance. His response was resistance to Jesus. Herod had amassed wealth and power, and he was building a legacy. He believed those things would bring him real significance. He was searching in all the wrong places for that sense of home that we're hardwired to find. And if it's true that being home is being in the presence of God, Herod really did have that right in front of him. If anyone had the means or the ability to find out about or to worship and find this son of God who was being born, it was Herod. But Herod was troubled. He was addicted to his power. And uh, his, uh, this addiction is where he thought he would find significance. He He feared that Jesus would take away everything that he had worked so hard to build. And Herod must have figured that if Jesus was king, then he couldn't be king. And he couldn't bear to think about that. He couldn't imagine giving up that kind of control. So instead of worshiping Jesus like the Magi, Herod tried to remove Jesus from the equation altogether. Some of us respond that way. Sometimes it's blatant. We might say, My significance is found in partying, it's found in drinking, it's found in sex, and Jesus would take that significance away from him if I were to follow him. Others of us do the same, same thing, but we do it more subtly. We pretend to follow Jesus. Even Herod told the Magi to report back so he too could worship, but he never intended to worship. And we pretend to worship Jesus, but... We're really chasing significance in all kinds of other things. We're searching for a sense of home. We're searching for a sense of belonging outside of the presence of God. And we become good at living a good life, at being respectable, maybe even coming to church most weeks. But in reality, we're searching for significance in our jobs, but our jobs don't fulfill us. We try to find home or significance or belonging in what people think about us, but there's always someone that comes along and tries to destroy our significance. Or when people do pile on accolades, we find that just leaving us kind of empty. We try to find a sense of home in wealth and in savings, and we think about how secure we are and how independent we'll be, and, we're thinking, and we think about how all that money's certainly going to lead us to a feeling of significance. But we lose sleep over news of housing bubbles, and we worry about how the market will react to the next election. And just like Herod, we realize that if, if Jesus is going to be king of my life, that means I can't be king, and we can't bear the thought of that. We can't imagine giving up that control. 
So we try to take Jesus out of the equation, much like Herod did. Herod was really looking for significance or to hold on to this facade of significance that he thought he had. He was wealthy, he was powerful, and when he got the news of this newborn king of the Jews, he knew that he had to act to hold on to everything that he had. He, he believed that significance came from his wealth and power, and as he chased this false significance, his life was destroyed and Herod lost everything. And just like we learned last week, that sense of home that you're looking for, it's being in the presence of God. And significance is the same way. True significance is being in the presence of God. Psalm 21, another Jewish king, writes, his name was David. The king rejoices in your strength, Lord. How great is his joy in the victories you give. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet with him rich blessing. You set a crown of fine gold on his head. He asked life of you. He asked significance. He asked that sense of home. He asked belonging. He asked life of you, and you gave it to him. Real significance is being known by God and knowing God, being in his presence, and not looking in the wrong places. Herod was looking in the wrong places. He thought it was his kingdom, his money, his status, and he would do anything to protect it, including killing innocent children. And we can read in history that Herod later killed even his own children because he didn't understand that real significance, that real sense of home, was right in front of him the whole time. That lasting sense of home is only found in God's presence. And we work, right? We work for significance. We're trying to find it. We, we let it consume our lives. We work to build our reputation. We work to build our wealth. We work to find significance. But real significance is being in the presence of God. And we don't have to do any works for that. It's just a gift that God gives us. What an incredible gift. That God sent his son Jesus to save us from our sins, to save us from our unquenchable thirst for significance and belonging. God saves us from that. And we think we have to do so much, but Jesus did it all for us. That's really what Christmas is about. God sent his son to this earth to save us. And all we have to do is rely on him for our significance. Acknowledge him as Savior. It's been right in front of us all along. So what's your response? I like to share really practical things when I teach that you might be able to do this week. What's one thing you could do this week? And I believe every scripture calls us to a step of obedience. So let's talk about a step you could take this week. I think all of us could have a conversation about where we are searching for our real significance, an honest conversation. All of us are searching for it, right? We've talked about being hardwired for it. All of us are trying to find this sense of home, but where are we looking? So I want to challenge you this week to have a conversation with your spouse or with another trusted friend who's, who's on this same path that you're on. To be honest, to talk to them about where you are on this journey of finding true home. To talk with your kids about it. Talk with your spouse. Kids, talk with your parents. Have an authentic conversation about this spiritual thing. Where is it you're looking for significance? Is it Jesus? Or are you chasing something that will never fulfill? 
And maybe you're thinking, I, I really don't have anyone to have that conversation with. I'm new to this journey, and I need a, a friend that I can have that conversation with. I've got some solutions for that, too. Let me talk about three things that you could do if you don't have a person to have that conversation with. The first thing is to commit to being at Plum Creek on Sunday mornings. Sundays are great because every week there are almost 500 people here that are on the same journey that you're on. So show up, hang out, get to know people. It's a great way to get that sense of belonging. After service, you can stop in the cafe in the back of this room, and there'll be somebody there to tell you how to take your next step after that. Men, I've got a way for you to start building these relationships as well. In February, on the 1st, we're going to have an event called the Beast Feast. You have an insert in your bulletin about that. There's a code that you can scan in your bulletin right after church, and you can sign up for that event. Um, it's going to be a great way for you to connect with other men and have fun shooting stuff, throwing axes, eating meat. And uh, it's not a fundraiser. It's not a churchy kind of event. It's a time for us to get together and just find belonging and have, uh, have time getting to know other men. So I'd love for you to come to that and bring a friend. Third way that you can uh, meet some new people is that you could invite somebody who's not been here yet. Even if it's your very first week here, you could lead somebody here next week, and then you would have another person who'd be on that journey with you. So we have next Sunday morning, that'll be our Christmas service, and then 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve, uh, we'll have a service then as well. These steps matter because they put you around someone who is also searching for home, for significance. And it's not that we at Plum Creek feel like we've necessarily found it, or that we've arrived, but we're trying to figure it out. And we'd love for you to join us as we try to figure it out. Jesus came to set us free from chasing significance. He is our significance. He's our home. So are you really searching for home? <clears throat> Do you want to quench that thirst for significance? It's right in front of you. Hear this. Somewhere in heaven, God has a room, and he goes into that room every day, and that room's full of pictures. There's a picture of you. There's a picture of your parents. There's a picture of your kids. There's a picture of your spouse and your coworkers. There's a picture of me in that room, and there aren't any plaques next to the pictures. It's just a simple picture of each of us, and God, God our Father goes into that room every day just to look at us. And I think his chest puffs out just a little bit. I think his palms get a little bit sweaty when he looks at us. And maybe even his eyes start to water a little bit because he loves you. He loves you because you are his child. Not because of anything you've accomplished, not because you've had the right behavior, not because of how many times you've been to church, and he doesn't love you any less because of your addiction. He doesn't love you any less because of what you did 20 years ago that you can't even forgive yourself for. He just sees you as his child. He's chosen you. He's for you. He set you free from chasing significance. You are significant. And there's a place for you in his house. You found a home. 
It's been right in front of you all along. And all of those emotions and longings to be someone, you are someone. You're a child of God. And if you can find a way to let go of all that other stuff, and I know it's hard, especially around Christmas time, but just to let go of all that other stuff that we think is going to bring us significance, if we can let go of that and just hear God say this, Son, I love you because you're my child. Daughter, I love you because you're my child. You will have found it. Welcome home.